name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll praise Jesus to us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but over us. St. Francis de Sales, St. Mary Magdalene, St. Jude, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so good. Uh, how's this for board placement? Does this get the job done? There were, some, there were some upset people about where the board was. I'd like to move the sun personally, but I can't do that. Does it basically get the job done? It's just notes. It's just, it just tells you where I'm going. Okay, well, what we've got this evening is mostly on matrimony, okay? Mostly on matrimony, and a whole lot of hodgepodges of other subjects. So, um, Francis, you know, because he wrote most of these things to uh, a, a spiritual direction, and because matrimony is the way in which most people are called to follow our Lord, he has a tremendous amount to say about it. So... What we're going to do next week is going to be the last class, right? The last class. And we're going to talk about temptations next week. And there's a lot that Francis has to say about temptations, and it's really great stuff. So it's going to be an entire class on that. Um, this week, kind of a hodgepodge, mostly on matrimony, okay? Some assorted subjects like recreation and uh, how you use your free time and you know, uh, how you treat other people and how you talk about other people. Kind of a the, the end of the, the end of the hodgepodge tonight. Okay, so we begin by talking about the sacrament of holy matrimony. All right, instruction for, for married persons. Now, uh, you know, whenever a priest speaks about marriage, well, I shouldn't say whenever. Often, when a priest speaks about marriage, he's kind of met with a certain amount of cynicism. Uh, the the implication being, well, you're not married. What would you know? about it. But you know what's really interesting? Um, it is that perspective, that disinterested perspective that can be so valuable. I knew a, a, a priest once, he, he gave a homily on marriage and he got up and he said his thing and uh, at the end of the homily, at the end of the mass, after mass, a, a woman with a delightful Irish brogue came up to him and said, it was a grand sermon, Father, just a grand sermon. I only wish to God I knew as little about marriage as you do. <laughs> but what we have here with Francis is a, uh, a disinterested perspective, someone who has uh, a certain frankness and a certain honesty, which I think is greatly, greatly refreshing, especially in our own time, okay, in which, as you know, Marriage is, the public perception of it is in free fall. It's completely collapsed. Right? So we really need this. And for all those who are married, hopefully this will be a little bit of just a little spiritual refresher for you. Okay? So um, what Francis says about marriage, he gives this image. And he says, on the day of your wedding and throughout your, throughout your wedding, he says, make Christ and the Blessed Mother the guests of honor at your wedding. Okay, and then he says, now what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, he contrasts it with what he says is usually done. 
And he says what's usually done is instead of, instead of Jesus Christ as the guest of honor, they make Adonis the guest of honor. Instead of the Blessed Mother, they make Venus the guest of honor. Okay? Um, he says, if Christ were welcomed in every marriage as he is in the wedding of Cana, the wine of consolation and blessings would never run out. And if there are few consolations and blessings, it's because Adonis is invited instead of Christ and Venus is invited instead of the Blessed Mother. So what does he mean by that? Well, Adonis was the Greek god of desire and the archetype of virility and youth. And Venus was the goddess of fertility and desire and the embodiment of sexuality. And what he's really saying here is, even in devout circles, okay, um, there is a tendency to overemphasize this worldly fulfillment. Even in devout circles, there's a tendency to forget or even ignore the supernatural and sacred character of what's done. Even in devout circles, the natural good is so highly emphasized, people forget the sacred nature of it. Uh, romance is overemphasized, it's got its place, but it's overemphasized. Prosperity, it's got its place, it's overemphasized. And lust, which I tried to describe before, should never have a place, is... is, is uh, is always a destructive force, okay? Um, And so he says what, he he reminds us, remember the sacrament of matrimony was ordained by Christ as a vocation. Now whenever people come to me to get married, I tell them about the sacrament of matrimony being a vocation and I say, do you know what a vocation is? And they say, yeah, that's like when you go to the computer tech school and you know, you can get a degree in, 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 in computer repair in 90 days or less. No, that's not a vocation. A vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. And the call comes from God, and the call is to you. And it's an invitation from our Lord to become holy. right? To use the good things of this world, but to use them, order them, towards the kingdom of heaven. Okay, And this is what he means when he says, make Christ the guest of honor. He says, whoever wants a happy marriage ought on his wedding day to think only of the holiness and grandeur of the sacrament. Instead of this, he says there are a thousand follies, feasts and speeches. Now notice he doesn't say that feasts and speeches are a bad thing. They're a bad thing when they are instead of the grandeur and the holiness of the sacrament. Probably the greatest wedding I ever did uh, um, it was just a very, it was a, it was a uniquely spiritual, highly spiritual couple. And they had a magnificent reception. Uh, flew me up in a private jet and had her own little uh, great magnificent mansion on Nantucket Island. And they, it was just this incredible reception. But you know what everyone said? Uh, they said that what really struck them was the mass, not the reception. And it was the sacredness of the event that had left a, an indelible mark in, 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 in the hearts of everyone who had been there. So he says, above all else, keep this in mind, love with the love of Christ. Okay? Love with the love of Christ. He says, don't love with a natural love. Even turtle doves do that. Don't even love with a human love. Since even non-believers do that. I tell you, Along with the Apostle Paul, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. A reminder. Wives, 
Love your husbands as the church loves her Savior. Now, uh, I think I might have told you the story of the of the man and the woman who got married and the, and the man got Lou Gehrig's disease? No? If I have, when you hear this again, you'll pretend like you've never heard it, right? Because I only have but so many stories. So the man marries the woman and, uh, you know, she really did look like Venus and he really did look like Adonis. And everyone says, oh, what a blessed couple. And they were, but not in the way they thought. Because the man contracted an illness and it was uh, Lou Gehrig's And it was the gradual disintegration of his nervous system. And he slowly lost all of his abilities to move. He lost his ability to sense touch. He lost his ability to see. He lost his ability to hear. Gradual, gradual death. And the woman cared more and more and more and more for him as he decayed. And first she hired someone to help her out, but then she started doing it herself. And she would work. And she would commute twice a day, once in the morning, once for lunch, once in the evening. She wanted to be the one to, to feed him. And as he was dying and she was kind of wearing thin, she had a friend over for dinner and the friend was trying to shake some sense into her. And you've, you've, you've got to stop this. You can't live this lifestyle. How are you going to maintain this? Uh, can't you see you've aged 10 years and only one year? Uh, you can't keep this up. Don't you understand? And she says back, I understand. But you do not understand. And pointing to her husband, stricken in the bed, she said, I love him. I love him. That's a very dramatic story. But the stuff of it is the stuff of the sacredness that Francis is trying to remind us of. You know, there's lots of little examples. I knew a man and a woman. They were married for 25 years. And every day they'd fight over where the shoes would go. He didn't want to put the shoes in the closet. She wanted to put the shoes in the closet. And you know how this this sort of thing is. Um, I heard somebody recently say, love, what is it? Love is a bottle of champagne and a candlelight dinner. Marriage is a mop and two pounds of hamburger. (laughs) Well, eventually he put the shoes in the closet. Why? Just for her sake. Sacrifice. It happens in the priesthood too. That call comes in the middle of the night. Nobody wants to get up and go to the hospital. So I was in this past parish and three of us get the phone at the same moment, right? Phone rings. We all pick up the phone. Hello? They say, this is Prince William Hospital on the phone. The family is requesting a priest. That's what they always say. They're not requesting you. Any priest with a pulse will do. Okay? <laughs> the family is requesting a priest. Say, I'll go. The next priest says, I'll go. And the pastor says, no, wait, you guys. I'll go. And we were both like, okay. <laughs> but there's that spirit of sacrifice, right? That's, that's what this is made of. That's what this is made of. Um, and now Francis presents this ideal. Okay, marriages are not always this ideal. But I do believe that we have to correct something that can very often color people's image and perception of what marriage is supposed to be uh, they're, expect, they're living in a delusion of a this worldly fulfillment when they shouldn't be looking for it there was once a time when I was really kind of low really down kind of in the dumps about the priesthood I got together with uh, a very wise old priest and he kind of shaked me back up kind of shakes some sense back into me and, and, and he said um, you know, what, are, what are you looking for this, this world is not about what you get It's about what you give. It's not about your fulfillment. It's about your 
holiness. And it kind of just reoriented me. Finally settled in my soul. I became a heck of a lot happier. You know, our Lord says, um, learn from me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you hear about what the church asks of us and the moral codes and that sort of thing. And sometimes you say, easy? Light? Compared to what? Compared to the alternative. Okay? So that when you find often, when you just kind of set yourself aside, forget about yourself, focus on who it is you are called to serve, called to give yourself to, what you once were so afraid of actually becomes something quite sweet. It becomes all the, the means by which it becomes the means by which you become a much better person. Something that becomes very, very sweet. Uh, it, it's, it's much easier than, than, what, than what the world demands. Okay? So here's Francis reminding us of this. I just think it's an important thing to remember. He says, God gave you to each other and he tied that knot with a sacred bond. Why don't you treasure one another with a love that's holy, sacred, and divine? Husbands, have a tender, constant, warm love for your wives so that the woman might be tenderly loved. She was taken from the rib closest to Adam's heart. Her frailty ought not to provoke your disdain, but cause you to show her sweet, loving compassion. God created your wives to depend on you, and you should receive from them more honor and respect. Wives, you are called to have a tenderly, heartfelt respect and reverence for the husband God gave you. She's taken from a rib under his arm to show that she should be under her husband's hand and guidance. Scripture recommends this submission, but it renders it agreeable by commanding husbands to exercise it with charity, tenderness, and mildness. So there's this headship, this natural headship. The man is the head of the wife is Christ's head of the church, but that's not a headship like a, uh, an authoritarian worldly sense. It's a headship that's entirely formed on, on, the, on the example that our Lord has given us. And that's what Francis is trying to say here, but you know, mostly um, it's just this idea that, that the people are forgotten. They kind of look for a disworldly fulfillment in matrimony. And he says, please, please, please set that aside. That's the cause of the decay of what God wants to give you. Okay? That's the cause of the decay of it. Um, and he says that when this happens, you have three consequences, all right? Three consequences. There's a union of hearts, okay? There's procreation and education of, of children. And he says there's an inviolable fidelity that develops between the spouses, okay? So he says there's a union of hearts that develops, and this is what's intended, a union of heart, love, and affections. And he has this beautiful image. He says the soul uh, can be separated from the body, in death. The soul can be separated from the body, but the husband can't be separated from the wife. And this is the image he uses. He says it's like gluing two pieces of wood together. You glue those two pieces of wood together. You can try to separate them, but the only thing you'll do is tear the wood apart. You'll never tear the glue. Okay? You can't take that union out of that sacred bond. It's there, and it's there forever. Okay? Procreation and education of children. It's an important thing to remember that when we talk about Children in matrimony, we use the word procreation. Now, even secularists will throw that word around and sometimes not be aware of what it means. Creation is the making of something out of nothing. Every time a child is conceived, something comes into existence which never existed before and will exist forever. 
And that something is made out of nothing at all. Okay, that's, that's creation, because only God can infuse a human soul. Now, some people will avoid this for purely selfish reasons. Okay? Um, some people will avoid this for purely selfish reasons. And, and, and it's a reminder here. Now, Francis also reminds people, because you know, contraception existed in his time, too. People often think of this as just a modern invention, but you know, it's mentioned in the Didache. We're talking the second century A.D. Um, I can tell you the story of a family where the husband and wife had 18 children. Okay? 18 children. That's a lot. Okay? The 17th of these 18 children married uh, an Anglican, and their kids were Catholic. And one of those four girls married uh, a Methodist. And they could only have one child, and she was Catholic. And she married a Unitarian, United Church of Christ, UCC, sometimes called Unitarians Considering Christianity. (laughs) And they had three children, of which I am the second. It's my great-great-grandmother, Katie McDonough, from Ballymote in County Sligo, Ireland. If she hadn't been exceedingly generous saying yes to God, even beyond and above what they thought they could do, I would not exist. And something like that is uh, it, it's just a very, very important thing to remember. Um, that this procreation and education of children, it's a sacred entrustment to, to married persons. And of course there's, I mean, there's, there's lots of, I'm saying everybody has to have 18 children. Uh, but there's, there's something to say there. It's like what, what God will do when when, when, when you don't cast limits on what he might ask of you. Okay? Inviolable fidelity between the spouses. Now, here's an interesting idea that Francis talks about. He says, uh, there will be other affections between married persons. There will be friends okay, between married persons. There will be family, obviously, but there will never be a relationship made of the same stuff as it is between the two spouses. It's different entirely, and it's different entirely by nature. He says, the heart has been sealed by this sacrament. Neither the name nor the love of any other may ever enter into the heart, so long as that other shall live. Okay, so there can be this closeness, but never made of the same stuff. It's like entirely separate and and, and unique, and it needs to be kept that way. And he says, if you want to keep it that way, there's five things to remember. Five things to remember. I didn't write these on the board because I didn't have enough room. Or maybe I did have enough room, but these days I'm too lazy to use the backside, so that's just the way things are. Okay. Five things to remember okay, for, uh, for married persons and their, their, their closeness with others. Uh, let that relationship be thoroughly immersed in God. Let it never be a need-based relationship. Let it be thoroughly immersed in God, based on a commonly shared love, namely Christ, which harkens back to what he said about friendship, right? Second thing. Um, let that relationship be one that furthers rather than hinders the commitments that are already made, that builds up the life of commitment already made. So in other words, if you have a healthy friendship, if it's a man and a woman, if it's a man and a man, if it's a woman and a woman, whatever the case might be, you know that it's good if it makes the marriage stronger. You know that it's bad if it tears the marriage down. So when two ladies get together and the subject matter is the tearing down of their spouses or two guys get together and the subject matter is the tearing down of their wives or whatever it might be, or a man and a woman get together and they find that this bond is forming, you know that's bad. But when it builds them up, you know that's good. Okay? Always 
building up the commitment already made. Uh, One good sign of it, the third thing he says, it leads to deeper prayer growth. Good friendships make you pray better. Okay? Fourth thing, he says, it should be non-exclusive and non-possessive. So, if you have a friendship with someone else and they have a friend with someone in addition, you're thrilled. Okay? If your friendship outside your marriage is such that you think they can't be friends with anybody but you, you've got a problem, right? Non-exclusive, non-possessive, deepens prayer growth, builds up the commitment already made, okay? Based on love of Christ. And the last thing I think is very, very helpful. He says, let there be no excessive occupation of the other person's time. No neglect of duties. So, uh, um, I, I think... Uh, that, that's kind of a universal there when, when, when you find that you're spending a tremendous amount of time in something and duties are neglected it's always a sign of a problem okay so, uh, so, he, so he talks about this as being the ideal and then he says now how do we how do we preserve this and he throws out some throws out some ideas here okay and he says this is really interesting ideas I don't really know where he gets this stuff honestly but you know, he's a doctor of the church, been saying this for, for, for 400 years. To me, the whole thing just rings true. So for some of these things, if it seems a little bit uh, of a stretch, uh, give him the benefit of the doubt. I think you'll find that it's worth it. Okay? So he says, husbands, if you want your wife to be faithful, be faithful to yourself. Your faithfulness produces hers. Husbands, if you want your wife to be faithful, give them that example. How can one demand of theirs a virtue... The one himself is not practicing. How can you ask your wives what you yourself do not give? If you give them an example of a dissolute life, don't be surprised if you lead them to their own destruction as well. I think that's just... I kind of take Francis at his word on that. That the, the faithfulness of one produces the faithfulness of another. Okay? Um, he says, guard against jealousy. Okay? Guard against jealousy. Um... He says, beware of jealousy. Jealousy shows the power of love, but not its goodness or its purity. Never exists in virtuous love, but only where love has become sensual, selfish, and distrustful. True love presupposes the goodness of the one who's loved, and therefore leads to trust and freedom. Jealousy presupposes vice and leads to the opposite. Okay? Um, and he's, for, for wives especially, he directs this, these words about purity. I mean, I guess he could direct it to the husband, but he directs it to the wife, okay? So ladies, perk up. Um, wives, jealously preserve your purity from even the slightest attack. Be suspicious if a man praises your beauty. Okay? Be suspicious. Francis has these little zingers he throws out. He says, when a man praises a piece of merchandise which he can't buy, he's tempted to steal it. Okay? And if he... And if his praise contains a dispraise of your husband, he wants only your ruin and considers you half ruined already. Okay, so I find that I find I find that fascinating. If a man comes along and gives praise for a woman's physical appearance, he's he's already got a disdain for for the relationship that you're already in. Okay, um, uh, to the wife, be careful what you listen to. The body is poisoned through the mouth. The heart is poisoned through the ear. Let nothing but chaste words ever be heard. Regarding the education of children, this is something fascinating. He says, as soon as they have a reason, parents must begin to form them. 
imprint on their hearts the love of God and the fear of displeasing Him. And he gives the example of Queen Blanche uh, of Castile to, to her child, who was, uh, who was who become the King of France, Saint Louis, King of France. She, he, she once said to him, "My dear child, I'd prefer to see you dead at my feet than to see you commit a single mortal sin." Who's heard that image before? Just curious. I'd prefer to see you dead at my feet than to see you commit a single mortal sin. And these days, I've heard so many stories of parents who hand their kids condoms as they're going out the door, and fathers who demand that their their daughters get abortions. Hey, Queen Blanche of Castile, the St. Louis King of France, I'd rather see you die than commit a mortal sin. How do you do that? Well, here's something that's not Francis uh, that I'm going to throw in here. Something that came from John Paul II in one of his Wednesday audiences. And I've loved this advice. And I don't know where John Paul II gets this, but I, again, I think the guy's got a direct line, so I don't question him. Right? He said that if you pray with your children before the age of five, you give them an armor that will protect them for the rest of their lives. Fascinating image there. Okay. Something about giving them the gift of prayer at that impressionable age. Even if they fall into sin, even if something happens to them and they, it seems like they are, are, are lost forever, he says that you've given them an armor that will protect them for the rest of their lives as if to suggest they'll always be able to find their way back. Pray with your children before the age of five. My own personal little two cents here is consistent mass attendance. Whenever um, there's inconsistent mass attendance... I found it telegraphs to kids this isn't very terribly important. Because what do you do consistently? You do things that are important consistently. You always brush your teeth. Uh, you, you always get to sleep. You always eat dinner. If you're not doing it consistently, you're saying that it's not really important, which contradicts the whole idea of who God is. Okay. I mean, if God is to be God, He isn't just merely important. He's all important. And I've really found that to be uh, I've really found that to be the case with children growing up and with with keeping the faith. Now, here at the end of this subject, he throws in one more thing. I, I love this little idea. This is something you might not have thought about, and this applies to anyone who's married of any age. He talks about an ancient uh, Christian doctor, Saint Gregory Nazianzen, and he says that in the early days of the church, the first Christians celebrated their anniversary. Okay, by going to confession, receiving communion, and making a promise to renew their mutual love and fidelity, to renew the Spirit of Christ, to be even more deeply faithful in the duties of their calling. So I think, I, I love that idea. On the, on the anniversary of receiving the sacrament, you know, a priest, on his anniversary of his, his ordination, frequently he'll get together with his buddies, right, and they will say a Mass together, and then they'll go out to dinner or something like that. And why not? It's the anniversary of a sacrament. It's the anniversary of a sacred event. I love this idea of, hey, celebrate this anniversary of this sacrament with a sacred event. Go to communion, right? Maybe get to confession within a week. Maybe it doesn't have to be the same day. Um, make a promise of renewing that, renewing that, that, that sacred covenant. Okay? Priesthood is celebrated in this same way. Why not? Why not you? Okay. Now, on another subject here, he talks about the sacredness of sexuality. Uh, a subject that is apropos at any age, in any time. Okay? Now, when Francis was saying this, um, he was counteracting Jansenism. Who's heard of Jansenism? Who's never heard of Jansenism? Okay, Jansenism uh, was... There was a bishop 
um, the bishop, he was, there was a Catholic bishop, his name was Cornelius Jansen. He was the bishop of Ypres, okay? And he was a contemporary of Francis. And at this time of the church reforming in response to the Protestant Reformation, uh, Francis and Jansen kind of took divergent paths. Francis gets canonized, okay? Cornelius Jansen goes down in history as someone who, I'm sure he meant well, but he really misled a lot of people. Jansenism is sometimes called Catholic Calvinism, right? And he emphasized how difficult is the path to heaven, how great the need for penance, how strict the accounting of Christ. And it it, it sapped the life out of people, Jansenism did. Because although justice is alongside mercy, it emphasized justice so greatly and underemphasized mercy so greatly and it was so it was so rigorous that it, it left people without hope if you ever go to Europe you might see a Jansenist crucifix and you'll know it by that's our crucifix here's Christ with his arms spread wide the Jansenist crucifix had the arms up tight like this and the idea was like there's this tiny little opening in the, his hands so too very few people will receive the benefits of our Lord's Mercy. So Francis was actually counteracting Jansenism when he said all of this. And although it might sound rigorous to modern ears, right, it, it, it was progressive for its own time. Um, and Francis talks about the goodness of human sexuality, right? Marriage and sex, they were created by God. People often think the church thinks sex is evil. No, I think church thinks sex is sacramental, which is what I said last week, right? Created by God. Part of the earthly paradise before the fall, right? Not a consequence of sin, part of the original plan. Uh, But here's the thing, it has its place, it has its purpose, and it's very easy to misuse. Francis draws a parallel between sex and eating, right? He says they both have their purpose, they both have their pleasure. Eating nourishes the body. That's the principal end of of, of eating. Sex is for procreation. That's the principal end for which it exists. But it's not the only reason that it exists. Um, uh, along, with, uh, along with eating, you don't just eat just to preserve life, right? There's a, there's a natural pleasure that's a consequence. There's not just intercourse just to produce children. That's a natural pleasure as a consequence. So these two are inseparable. The pleasure and the union and the consequence. And the trouble happens when you separate the two that God put together. And this is exactly what the church teaches on, on contraception. Right? This is the exact same thing the church teaches on the immorality of contraception. The trouble happens when you try to separate what God has united. Francis says, let it not be confused with virtue to think otherwise. Okay? Joy and union that comes with sex is a natural part of it. The union is part of intercourse even when there is no expectation of conception. And the key word there is expectation. Okay? Um, the, the, this is the key not only for understanding what Francis is saying but for understanding what the church is teaching there might not be an intention for a conception but the key is that there's not an intention against it All right, but you can't divide what God himself has joined that's the responsibility of married persons and I'd have to go off on that but that would be a whole subject just on that that would be a whole lecture just on that another thing Francis talks about is the dangers of excess and I talked about that last week a little bit too. He says, wherever there's a strong appetite, there's a danger. A danger of excess, a danger of self-seeking. It's true for food, okay? It's also true, much more true for sex, and much more sinful. Uh, the nuptial union, while holy, just, and commendable in itself, 
can harm those who practice it. Sometimes it can cause their souls to become seriously ill with venial sin by simple excess. But when the order appointed for the procreation of children is violated, the sin is mortal. Okay? And the idea here is that... Um, well, and an image that could be used... This isn't Francis, this is just me now. An image that could be used is like... If I got off the plane in Tanzania, right? And I might have used this image before. I would never use this from a pulpit, by the way. Okay, if I got off the plane in Tanzania, um, and I, get, I wave to everybody, they're all going to wave back. Okay? They, they all know what that means. Um, if I got off the plane in Tanzania and I smiled to everybody, they're all going to smile back. Everybody knows what a smile means. Even people that are born blind know what a smile means. If I get off the plane in Tanzania and I give everybody the middle finger, they might scratch their heads and like, what, what is this unique American gesture? They might give me the finger back, right? They might not know what it means. But some things are conditioned, some things are universal. Uh, they say that when you eat a meal in France, you're supposed to have your hand, one hand on the utensil, the other hand on the table, so I'm told. Uh, because they want to know what that hand is doing. They don't want that hand under the table doing heaven knows what. So they want to keep that. That's just good manners. You know, you, 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 you eat a meal in Des Moines. Um, Mabel, Mabel, if you're able, you know, there's all these rules and etiquette that we have, but it's unique to us. And here's the thing about the nature of human sexuality. It says in a language, uh, you and you alone for the rest of my life. This isn't something I can share with anybody else. It is a complete giving of the other. And what Francis says is, if you toy with that, if you diminish it, if you violate it, you're turning the whole thing, which was meant to be a union, now into a lie. And that's what he says, is watch out. Be very, very careful. Okay? Uh, not only dangers of excess, but dangers of, self, dangers of self-seeking. Okay? Um, and uh, it's, it's very, very easy to take something holy and good and to misuse it. And the last thing he says about this is he says, good as human sexuality is, be careful, don't set your heart on it. Don't set your affections on it. It has its place. But the purpose of God is greater. The purpose of God is broader. One of my favorite statements that I sometimes say to myself um, um, whenever thinking about something very, very good, it comes not from Francis, but from St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross, whenever he would encounter something very good, he would say, it's good, but it's not God. Okay? It's good, but it's not God. Uh, keep on going. And Francis says that too. Be careful you don't set your affections on it. It has its purpose, but God's purpose is greater. God's purpose is broader. Do everything for Him. Um, we take joy in spiritual things. We use corporeal things. Okay, So there's a number of things Francis says. A reminder of the sacredness of matrimony. A reminder of the, of the, of the importance of, of, of the place in human sexuality in, in, in matrimony. Uh, now Francis on a hodgepodge of other subjects. Here's Francis on recreation. Here's Francis on recreation. It's really refreshing to hear a canonized saint of the church tell us that you've got to be a responsible and good steward of God, of what God has given you. And that means taking time off. Okay? So it's nice when, it's nice when you hear saints tell you nice things and, and things that aren't necessarily really hard. He says you've got you to bowstring, you've got to let that bowstring rest. If you're always pulling that bowstring back, it ain't going to be good to you when you need it. You've got to let the bowstring rest, okay? Um, you're, you're not a good steward of what God has given you if you don't take time off. And Francis says, uh, take in the air, go for a stroll, enjoy a friendly chat, play music, sing, hunt. These are honest diversions. 
And the only thing needed is to utilize them with simple prudence, which gives all things their rank, time, place, and measure. And the only thing Francis says watch out for is excess. Okay? Watch out for excess. As I mentioned before, excess is usually a sign uh, that something's wrong, that there's some self-seeking at place. And the interesting little twist that Francis says is when you have excess in recreation, you actually turn the recreation into an unintended self-punishment. Okay? Um, he says you become tired, not relaxed. Emotions get out of control. But not only that, isn't it silly to place such great value on something which is in and of itself no importance? I used to play golf. Okay? Now, nothing against people who play golf. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons that I, I stopped playing was that um, some of the people that I would play golf with uh, kind of lost perspective on this. You know, it was just a game. And they'd be hurling their clubs into the woods and screaming expletives and all this kind of thing. And these are priests, okay? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I'd scratch my head and I thought to myself, okay, now this is supposed to be your fun here. You think maybe something's gone wrong. I, heck, it ruined my fun after a while. Okay, but that's the thing. He says you be careful. Just be guarded against success. It has its place, but whenever there's a good thing, there's this temptation to uh, to, to 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 make it an excess. I love this little idea that when you go excessive, the recreation uh, becomes its own punishment. Don't be too eager for enjoyment. It's an attachment. Okay, it's an attachment, not a sin, not a sin, but it's a sign that your heart isn't really given to God. Okay. Um, there was one thing that he mentions three times when he talks about what's an attachment. Too much time, too much time, too much time. Uh, when it gets in the way of your duties, when the relaxation isn't needed, okay, and when it, it's, uh, time is taken away from something uh, that, that should be given more importance. Okay? Here's another kind of random thing he throws out. He, he, he chimes in, he does two cents on dancing. Now, saints don't say very much about dancing, all right? but Francis does. Okay? And here's what he says about dancing. He says, in and of itself, it's not good, it's not bad. Um, but, he says, even when it's at its very best, it's not worth very much. Okay? Uh, he says, uh, because they're... I love Francis' little images here. Because they're spongy, mushrooms are said to attract the surrounding rot. Okay? Well, the same is true of dances and night-oriented gatherings. They often attract sin. Quarrels, jealousy mockery, sensual loves. They open the pores of the heart to be poisoned by a loose word or a glance. They often scatter the spirit of devotion, weaken strength, and chill charity. Be careful. Use them with caution. Okay? And, uh, you know, he says, you know, you've got to have a good time. And, you know, he uses the example of dancing. He doesn't... He doesn't he doesn't exclusively talk about dancing. He's talking about uh, any, any number of um, what he calls night-oriented gatherings. And you've got to have a good time, and you come back, um, not, not refreshed and, and renewed and relaxed, but you come back exhausted, scandalized, and depressed. Okay? And this is basically the story of my four years of college. Okay? Um, anybody says, for, for a dance to be good, for any night activity to be good, let it be recreational. Okay, let it be occasional, and always this key word, moderation. Okay? Um, uh, when should you go? Use prudence, use discretion, try to act in the good of a larger group. Uh, there's a charity which renders indifferent things good. 
dangerous things permissible and removes them from things that might be in some way evil. So he's talking about, you know, for, for uh, it's part of a social gathering, part of a larger group, you know, it, 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 can, it can be a perfectly good, it can be a perfectly good thing. So he's just saying, watch out for the, for, you know, the ways in which it, it can be, it can be used, um, it can be used wrongly. But you've got to guard against a couple of things, okay? Guard against vanity, he says, okay? You can be overly concerned with how you look. Uh, with what others are look are saying about you, whether or not others are looking at you, okay, and these things are not good in themselves, okay. Um, he says uh, you can be you can be um, uh, uh, you got to be careful about sleep loss. Now, again, he wrote this in the 1600s, but he could have written it last week um, because he says if he, if these things run so late, the entire next day is lost. Okay, so I remember I used to be I used to be a transfer student in Spain at the University of Granada, and out there uh, the nightclubs wouldn't even get going until 2 a.m. And they thought I was a mama's boy because I'd go home at 3:30. Okay, but these guys who stayed out, you know, they didn't wake up the next day until dinner time. And Francis says you've got to be careful with these night-oriented things; it can wreck your whole next day, and that's not good. Okay. That's not good. And lastly, he says, you know, if you're involved in something like this, he gives some really sobering thoughts. Uh, he says, if, if you find yourself in a position where, you, you, you know, you think that uh, you're, you're in a bad place or whatever, he says, you try to counterbalance it with this thought. He goes, while I was dancing, Christ, the Blessed Mother, and the angels and the saints, they were all watching me. Was I worthy of their gaze? Not a bad thought, okay? You just you don't ever forget the place of God. Was I worthy of their gaze? You always want to be able to say... Yes. Okay. Now, this last part on justice, uh, I think he's just so spot on here. Okay? He talks about always being fair and always being just to others. Always. This is a fantastic examination of conscience. This in and of itself, is, is, I think, is a great meditation. Okay. Now, when you read this, when you hear this, you really have to plead guilty to all of Francis's charges. I know I did. And you can really think about this. He says, very few people are reasonable. Very few people are ever fair. Why? Because there's so much darn self-love. That's why. Okay? Francis says, we have two hearts, right? Gentle, gracious, and courteous towards ourselves. Harsh, severe, and rigorous towards our neighbor. Okay? We have two scales in which we measure the good things of this world. Heavy for receiving, light for giving. Okay? A double and a hypocritical heart. God finds this abominable. I just, uh, and so here, here's the, here's, he says to consider uh, how we think of our neighbor. Okay? We fault them for a trifle, but you know, we expect them to excuse a major fault in ourselves. Okay? Uh, towards our neighbor, uh, we demand justice. If anybody else is dealing with me, they better darn well be merciful, right? Be merciful, be merciful. Uh, a word to any salesmen who are, who are out there in the group, okay? Towards others, when we're buying, we demand a bargain, okay? But when we're selling, we demand a fair price, okay? Um, when we're talking about others, uh, uh, you know, we want them to take our remarks lightly. Come on, don't be so uptight. Roll with it. Why do you always take things so seriously? I didn't intend it so personally. But when anyone says something about us, we're terribly sensitive, right? 
terribly, terribly sensitive. Um, um, when, uh, when, when thinking about uh, our neighbor, okay, uh, we expect people to give us every consideration um, when, 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 claiming, uh, when claiming their rights. Okay? But when talking uh, to, about ourselves, we strictly demand what's coming to us. We demand our rights. Okay? Uh, when talking about um, our neighbor, we want them to be very humble about their position, no matter what their position is. Okay? No matter what their position is. But when I'm the one who's the subject matter, you darn well better recognize how important I am. Probably the most silly example of this is there's this arcane rule out there whereby if you are ordained by the Pope, you are entitled to wear three red buttons on your cassock. Three red, the top three buttons are red. Now, I've never seen this but once, okay? And this priest, God bless him, he walked around in three red buttons. So naturally, everybody asked, why do you have three red buttons, Father? Because well, I was ordained by the Pope, okay? And it's actually kind of silly. Uh, but it, it's, it's just kind of a sign of our own poverty, of our own self-love. Be so um, attentive to my own importance, better not, better not forget about it. Better not forget about it. Um, when talking about our neighbor, they darn well better not complain about us. Right? But how quickly we complain about them. How quickly we turn the tables. When it comes to their help, oh, their help is insignificant. I could have done it myself. Okay? But when it comes to us, well, why didn't they thank me? My help was so important. Two tables of, of, of behaviors. The way we treat others and the way we expect others to treat us. Okay? And Francis says, if any of this rings true, and I don't know about you, but for me, all of it rings true. He says, you've got a trouble. You've got a terribly self-oriented heart. And that's really a sign that something needs to be fixed. Okay? Um, uh, he says that uh, these faults don't demand restitution, but they do have to be corrected. How do you do this? And he says, a simple mental exercise, habitually try to get yourself into thinking. Imagine you're in your neighbor's place. Imagine your neighbor is in your place. Okay? A mental exercise. Uh, an exercise in charity. Imagine that you're in your neighbor's place. Imagine your neighbor is in your place. It's kind of like uh, what our Lord said. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. And apparently that's something we can't hear enough. I just love the way Francis spells it out so explicitly and so deliberately here. Okay? Um, kind of reminds us of what he said earlier about passing judgment. Um, when someone is uh, uh, mentally, spiritually speaking, in a good place, uh, they don't want to see evil in others. They don't want to see it. They actually want to turn away from it. When they do say it, they quickly want to excuse it. Um, so, you know, in no particular order, Francis is kind of all over the place with his subjects. And next week, we really do have a unified subject. We're talking about, uh, we're, we're talking about temptations next week. It's great stuff. But I wanted to kind of tie up some, some loose ends here in Francis, so mostly about matrimony, a few things about some other subjects, and hopefully some things to think about there. Okay? Um, so.